0: (laughs) We here, big fish. Shit. Welcome to the podcast. Hope y'all enjoy it. Hope y'all learn something, and most
1: importantly, we hope y'all elevate. Let's get it. Uh Big fish hit a big lick. We gon' bet it right back and hit a big flip. We been up for a minute and we still lit. Get them cats going top, but we don't feel shit. Giving y'all gems y'all can live with. Elevate your mind, never mind all the bullshit. Finna talk about stocks, we ain't worry about ops. First get the bread up, then buy back the whole block. Ten toes down, we ain't never gon' stop. I'm a man of my word, I ain't never gon' flop. If I said it, then I meant it. Real ones gon' respect it, and it's still OG. It's in me, I'm represented.
0: Started. This is going to be a, a casual one All right. um, I, I can already tell And that's in a good way Even though there are two mics There are more than two people That will be involved <laughs> in this show um, But of course I have my big bro on I got, two of my, I got two of my big bros here And then I got my little bro here Who um, I have to thank for the amazing setup As you can see this is not a studio This is really in New York City But we have the CEO of Stewart Enterprise, Tony Gaines.
2: Wow. Thanks.
1: And it.
0: Tony and I met at a Think Billions event, shout out to Howie P, in Cali in the desert. Which, which part of that? It's what? around Palm Springs. All right. So Palm Springs, amazing house. Um, Tony stood out to me because he was the quiet, one, of, one of the quiet guys in the room that I was kind of just observing. Wow. And I'm like, that guy must be something, somebody important or must know something that mm-hmm. uh, I can benefit from. So um, that's kind of why I don't even know if you remember the first thing that you did. Uh, well, the first thing that kind of set you apart from a lot of other people was.
2: What are, oh, this noise. Car. Yeah,
0: this noise. So <laughs> he gave me this and I was like a little kid when I've got my I just got an I just got an Amex account. So oh, like you know, it. it has the you know the Amex yeah. card. So I was like, you know, real, I, I get real excited when I can pay for something and you know get one of these. But when I got his card, it um it stood out to me, and I said, you know what, like this is something that I need to incorporate in some stuff that I'm doing. So right. it's the marketing, it's the business, it's everything. But you made an impact, and uh here we are today.
2: Wow, thanks. So and thank you, you made an thank you for, on me too.
0: Well, so. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, thank you for coming, and um. I guess, you know, let's let's kind of get into one of the first things that we always do when we have a guest on, talk about your upbringing. I've had the pleasure of learning a little bit about it, but yeah. we'd love for the audience to see and hear exactly what type of upbringing created this amazing man I sit, be, sit in front of right now.
2: Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, and that's, yeah, I won't tear up. <laughs> uh, anyways, no, my upbringing, yeah, I grew up in uh, Arizona, born and raised. Like third generation which is rare for Arizona if you know much about the state so grew up blue-collar dad worked for the phone company probably got my work ethic from him because he worked oh, triple time every weekend trying to make ends meet my mom worked for American Express actually uh, had an office there so blue collar normal kind of kid life wrestled a uh, few times state champion there, throw it in there, but...
0: Just throw it in there.
2: Throw it in there. <laughs> but when you're, uh, when you're in the fourth grade and weighed, uh, what did I weigh, 34 pounds or something like that? I was wrestling uh, kids that were in, like, first grade. So, right, I was, I was always tiny, like, really, really tiny. So I wrestled up until the sixth grade, uh, regional state champions. But, again, I was the highest weight I ever wrestled was 60 pounds. So, you know, basically 60 pounds. 60 pounds between sixth and seventh grade. So I was wrestling little kids. It really wasn't that hard until I, until I went to the Western Regionals. And there's more kids my size at my age.
0: You found yeah. out there's more kids out there.
2: Yeah, that uh, had skill because I just walked through, right, mm-hmm. on that kind of stuff. Because I use my, my age and knowledge. Got into <clears throat> motorcycles in about 76. Again, blue collar going to the dunes. Good life, good upbringing, a lot of Mm -hmm. schools, um, loving parents, sister, all that was good. You Mm -hmm. know, decent home life, can't complain too much. All kind of stopped when I was about thirteen. Parents got divorced, changed my world a little bit. Uh, Actually lived with my dad because I was racing, and again back to the work ethic. But unfortunately, single father, working sixty-five hours, I had to grow up pretty damn fast. And so I was racing bikes. It was my passion. And uh, just kind of did that, lived, you know, lived pretty, I don't want to say broke, but, you know, yeah. we didn't have a lot of money living in, living in a tough neighborhood, not a lot going on, spending every penny my dad made on bikes. And what I worked, I worked since I was 11, so doing block wall fence foot, footings since I was 11 um, because it's, you know that was my babysitter as a kid, had to work my ass off. So I'm allowed to cuss on this. You
0: are absolutely uh, allowed to cuss. I uh,
2: had to work my <laughs> ass off. Um, and all the money I got went into my bikes and stuff and that was going well, didn't really care about school. You and I talked in, in California, the the thing for me was drugs weren't a thing back then. Mm-hmm. Marijuana was, but mm-hmm. drugs weren't a thing back then. So the steroids and all those things that the, the football, baseball, all those guys, I didn't even know it existed. So, and I, and I think I joke, I think I told you if I would have known, I would have, <laughs> yeah, I would have I <laughs> traded. Traded 30 years of life for uh, a healed up injury because in motorcycles you get busted up a lot. Yeah. So I broke my first femur when I was 12. Damn. Collar bones, ribs, scars on the heart, um, fingers, nose, all that, broken 23 bones, 10 concussions, a um, lot of torn muscles, a lot of other stuff. But that was the upbringing, just hard work, racing which we talked about didn't have a lot of money so i was Mm -hmm. i was uh at the track people had motorhomes big trailers five six bikes and you know here i am on my year old bike and old gear and going at it and did pretty well turned pro at uh well it's it's two different levels of pro if you think just kind of like football in a way Mm -hmm. so there's there's like you know the junior league or call it like g league and basketball Mm -hmm. and then you got you know the big big time and I turned uh, regional, if you will, pro when I was about 15, 16. And then I turned um, uh, professional, professional, supercross, motocross, when I was about 17. So Damn. Uh, right after I uh, graduated high school at 17, that summer raced the amateur nationals. Yeah, if anyone knows about motorcycles, amateur nationals, it's like the last thing you do before you turn big pro uh, where you're on you know, racing stadiums. And then uh, that funny story there, Anaheim One, which just happened over the weekend, which is a great race if you ever watch it, and uh, broke my femur December eighteenth on my eighteenth, uh, basically just after my eighteenth birthday, two weeks before A One, my pro debut debut, and a broken femur takes forever. So all my sponsors, all you know, the next guys up, everything were right behind me. So I raced a couple Supercrosses, a couple outdoors, some some back then what you would call regional nationals. And uh, yeah, that was it. And then I had to get a job. So uh, that that's basically what made me the hard work and perseverance and just nonstop. Yeah, that, that basically built me today, if you will, working my tail off every day.
0: So here I thought football was a tough sport. Yeah. <laughs> and here I thought that me, you know, starting getting my first job at McDonald's at 1415, I thought, you know, I was doing something. And then I hear, you know, you explain all of, you know, your upbringing and it and it's true. I'm a firm believer in I don't know whether, you know, nature nurture, but I'm just a firm believer in however you grow up, it's going to shape you um yeah. to become who you are, you know, and you kind of were in a situation where it sounds like you were forced to take care of yourself, but a lot of other people in that situation don't necessarily make that decision. You know, a lot of people right. it's um, I was talking earlier to a friend and we were just discussing how, when you're put in certain situations, you learn a lot about yourself. Mm-hmm. So you fortunately learned a lot about yourself at a young age, whether it was bouncing back from injuries, having to take care of yourself. And um, even the, the mental side of, you know, having your parents divorce, right? You know, I'm sure that that played, you know, told, what, what made you go with your dad? That's a, that's a a
2: great, so learning yourself, it's a great segue Mm -hmm. into what you just said is my mom, my mom was young when my sister, she was very young, 15, 16, had me at 19 was working, doing well. Parents just didn't get along. They needed a divorce. It wasn't one of those like, you know oh my god he or she cheated it was just like they just when they they grew apart as opposed to growing together because they were both my dad got married right out of the army to my mom who right had a child at 16. so i mean I'm sure there's plenty of shows that kind of show that kind of world and um so they were getting divorced So my mom was still my mom was 32 so she was young and it was one of those i knew i wanted to race i knew if i went with my mom she wasn't going to be able to afford it. She didn't have a truck. She wasn't going to be able to get me bikes. She wasn't going to take me to the track. It wasn't her thing. And I knew that I wouldn't be disciplined, right, with my mom. At that young age,
0: you, you young just age. feel it.
2: I, I, yeah, I knew it. I, well, I have an older sister that mm. um, had a little rough childhood, if you will. Uh, and that's what happens when your mom is, you know, 16 when you're born and, you, you build your life stuff at an early age and what you're gonna do. My sister's great now, by the way. Um, but I just like, I'm not, I'm not gonna be successful if I go with my mom. I'm not going to get my joy, if you will, if I go with my mom. So, I mean, it hurt, obviously, hurt her, hurt me, but um, yeah, I made the choice to suck it up, live with my dad and um, yeah, ride bikes
0: that's a that's a grown up decision at a very young age um yeah. one that um I always compare logic versus emotion um yeah. that seemed like the very logical uh choice and a lot of even you know me i'm thirty five years old a lot of people i'm sure older than me struggle with that aspect just making decisions just based on the logic whether it's relationships I'm sure we all are in that yeah. uh, situation yeah. we we're 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 actually um we're in currently my girlfriend's little brother's apartment. So we have to, you know, be a little bit careful here, Um, (laughs) but, but relationships, the same thing, you know, sometimes we're with people that, you know, the emotions keep us in certain situations where logically speaking, it's like, this just doesn't make sense.
2: Well, we talked about it. I was engaged at 19, 20, going to college, junior college, working full time. And it was the same sort of decision as I did when I was 13. I was sitting at lunch with my best friends and the best friend's parents, actually, mom and sister, and they were sitting just having lunch. They're like, what do you want to do with your life? And it was probably one of the most profound questions I've ever gotten ever. And I just, not this, you know, I don't want to work in a warehouse making 25K a year, uh, married to, you know, this, this girl I was dating. She was a great person, mm-hmm. wonderful. Just one of those things where uh, you either get married and possibly be miserable or you break it off, right? Loved her, she was great, great person, great personality, but I was just too young. I was 19, 20, wanting to get married, not a, not a smart decision yeah. at all. Yeah. And uh, at that, that day, I think I might've even told you that day, I went to um, Barnes and Noble, but it wasn't Barnes and Noble back then, got the US News top 25 public colleges and I applied to everyone. Then it was, no one in my family had ever gone to college. I didn't even know where the colleges were. And here I am applying to, you know, Rice, Stanford. And I think I was getting, before, when I put the stamp on the letter and put it into the mailbox, I think the postman just opened it, said no, and put it back in for me. Um, But, yeah, I applied to top 25. And of the top 25, I only got two acceptance letters. And uh, one was Minnesota, one was Purdue. And so, uh, it was for me, it was an easy decision. It was was pretty weird, it. You made the right decision. But I didn't even know where it was. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I grew up on yeah. racing, but I didn't watch college sports. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about college sports. I didn't care about colleges. I was never, ever going to go. Never taken the SAT. Never taken the AC, ACT. <clears throat> graduated 792nd in my class with a 192. Not because I was, you know, Zuba. I just never went. I mean, I was... I left Friday morning for California to race, and I got home Monday. And if I was injured, you know, I missed a few days of school. I think I, I set the record of sixteen absences one semester. I mean, it was just I was never there. But uh, junior college got me a decent GPA and got me into Purdue, and I graduated Purdue with a basically a three o three one. But um, and then I went to work for Gallo, and yeah, the rest is history.
0: Would yeah. you? How at such a young age, like we. Even the first two decisions. All right. So the first decision, you know, just understanding where you're going to live. You know, the decision with marriage. You know, not to kind of just. I guess the ability to realize that this is not what I want. Right. And then the discipline to say I'm leaving this current situation, even though I love her. Situation is great, but I just need more. Right. Um, was it what was in you that just made you? At such a young age, realize was it the state championships in wrestling? Like, what was it that made you just realize I can do better? Like, there's there's something bigger out here for me. I'm not just boxed in by my current situation, current environment, current upbringing. That's
2: that's that's a good question, and I think it probably. Um... I, the grass is always greener on the other side right kind of deal it's like i always wanted when i was a kid it was funny i always wanted the you know i wanted a beamer I, you know or i wanted a porsche or i wanted something that someone else had the big house the big mansion you know i had friends with money and they all had their toys and their trailers and at a young age i wanted that mm-hmm. right so what's going to get me i saw i saw goods or well in essence homes cars as success which i don't today, but back then I did. And it was like, okay, what am I going to do to get that? Because if I don't better myself, then I'm going to keep doing exactly what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I was going to be making, you know, 25 grand. Um, My best friend still works for his parents. Great family, worked his ass off, owns part of the company, but he still only gets two weeks (laughs) vacation. Right. I mean, kind of deal. And he's right. It's it's just uh, and I didn't want that life for me. And, you know, and even even later, I've made some of those big decisions, leaving Gallo, leaving Anheuser-Busch all on my own. Those are when you're leaving a company like Gallo or Budweiser, those are you're you're the king, literally the king in the industry. And you have everything. Super Bowl tickets, 50 yard line, field passes, you're going to the Kentucky Derby, sitting at the finish line. I mean, it's it's a lifestyle that people would die for, and I left it. So it's there's there's been some hard decisions in my life.
0: Number one reason that you left?
2: Um, number one, happiness. At that point, I had made I had made it my career successful by then. Mm-hmm. Twenty years of Gallo, I got to the point where I wasn't worried about getting a job. Uh, and actually, I had several friends actually say it was like. Everyone will hire you. You have all the experience. You have all the friends. My Rolodex is amazing, as as we like to say in the industry. They're like, did you do whatever you want? Just do it. I'm like, okay. It was literally that simple. Mm -hmm. And I did.
0: And okay, so this is something that I struggle with. And I think we may have touched on it. But um, the happiness, you know, (laughs) it's something for me that most of my success, like let's say with football, it's come from me just locking in pushing happiness to the side. This is what I'm doing. I don't care if I'm miserable. I don't care if I'm depressed. Like, I don't care. I need to just lock in in order to get to this goal. And as I get older and older, I realize that I need more of a balance. And But it's tough because it's like I'm always going to fall back on what I know will get me the desired outcome that I'm looking for rather than well, let me try to have a little bit more enjoyment in my life. So right. I'm, I'm always balancing between the pleasure and the purpose. And it's almost like if I can describe it, let's say I have a cup. Mm-hmm. If I have a cup and I'll ask you this, if I have, a, if you had a cup in front of you, uh-huh. let's say at 25 years old, matter of fact, you're 35, you're me.
2: Yeah.
0: And you have two bottles of whatever you, you have, your bottle of pleasure and your bottle of purpose. Yeah. How much are you putting in your glass of each? Like you can only fill up, you know, obviously it's going to be maybe is a 50% purpose, 50% pleasure. What would your cup consist of?
2: Oof. Well, at, at 35,
0: 35. At 35.
2: 35. Whoa, that would have been. Yeah, that was actually. Back then, which is kind of funny. I, I went the other way. Um, at 35 and I added more pleasure because at that point I had been with Gallo, uh, 12 years, I guess, 13 years moved back to Arizona. Friends were all there working. I'm still working hard, uh, married, no kids yet. And I made the decision for more pleasure. So I bought a motorcycle again. So it'd be like (laughs) you going back into football, right? It's like, Hey, I'm going to go in Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, because to me it was fun Mm -hmm. and so I picked pleasure at the time, mm-hmm. put my career actually on hold um, because the Gallo didn't appreciate me because uh, I turned professional again. It didn't, regional professional, not, not the motocross, supercross like you see on TV, just local,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, west, uh, national stuff. And um, so I was riding again, happy as can be, right? Because when I'm on a bike, I'm happy as can be. And uh, I picked pleasure. Hurt my career for a few years, mm-hmm. um,
0: but was it worth it?
2: Uh, well, that was two blown ACLs, microfractured my knees, both tip <laughs> tip femur joints, uh, shattered or uh, cut all the nerves in my forehead. I had another major, major, major concussion, knocked out for ten plus minutes, lost four hours, but. Yes, it was it was worth it. Um and the only reason I stopped mm-hmm. and I went back to work as opposed to pleasure was I couldn't ride anymore. So I took that pleasure energy and I put it into work and was more successful.
0: You right? knew that you could always go back and, and do well ride. on that side. Yeah. You knew you could always, yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's it's my issue with riding a bike isn't isn't uh, doing well or not is I I um it's kind of like the kids at the basketball court that played college ball, or mm-hmm. maybe semi-pro went, you know, went and played in Italy or something. I had some mm-hmm. from friends back in Phoenix that did that, and they thought they could still make it. Um, and you laugh at those guys, like, dude, you're 35 years old. You're not. You're not joining the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Let it go, mm-hmm. right? Um, but my problem was, like them, I get on a bike. I, I don't think it's literally natural. Some little kid comes by and hits you or, you know, does something, it's on, mm-hmm. and I, you know, and I was a little aggressive when it came to uh, riding, so it would be on, and I'd go after, him. literally, you know, 17-year-old kid trying to make it like I did, and and here I am chasing him down, trying to pass him, right, not just <clears throat> this mental thing in my head, and I realized I couldn't do that anymore uh, at that point. I could ride, but I couldn't I mm-hmm. couldn't ride at the track because mm-hmm. it was, I was going to be 16 again. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I didn't, I haven't ridden a bike in 20 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that 35, I did pleasure. Now I took that same passion, if you will, mm-hmm. into my work to the opposite way. Um, for the next, what would have been three years and very successful. You know, I was at Ian Gal at the time, um, opened up Walgreens. So the reason that you, know, you can go to Walgreens and buy wine and beer right now is, is, uh, because I worked with Walgreens, uh, a couple other people, what well, just me, but I was the guy who put wine back in Walgreens. And at the time, um, I was doing convenience for Gallo had a 65 share of the market. We did more wine in Gallo than we did in restaurants, bars, and stadiums. Worked my ass off, killed it. Absolutely killed it. Um,
0: so that became your new passion
2: that was it but i was also working six seven days a week uh traveling four days a week minimum and it was just the opposite 100 percent of mine was work no outside i mean my wife i was married didn't Mm -hmm. have kids time then i had my son in 2005 and that was a blessing because then that made me change Mm -hmm. a little bit settle down and uh The reason I left Budweiser, I'll take you there, is so I wanted to be home more. Right? You got a, you know, son. I got my boy, Mm -hmm. right, if you will. Got your boy. Got my boy, (laughs) and I was gonna raise him. And uh, my wife's amazing, amazing mother. And it's like, okay, I need to be there too for Mm -hmm. him. So what I was doing was I would travel Monday through Thursday. I'd fly home Thursday night. My wife would say, "Here's your son." and so now it was almost like single mom four days single dad three days wasn't she helped a lot but when he got old enough it was great i would pick him up from daycare we'd go to the gym he would play a lifetime fitness uh if people go to that out here he would play with kids have a great time i'd be playing basketball for two hours we'd hang out if we weren't doing that we'd get in the car and i'd drive to la and we would go to Legoland or disney or whatever right it was like Every it was just nonstop three days of pleasure, four days of working my ass off, if you will, and that was a great balance. And then I went to Budweiser, and they moved me to St. Louis, and they took the the pleasure away, if mm-hmm. you will. And that's the reason I left Budweiser. Great company, great beer, but I think and my wife said it because we had to move to St. Louis. She goes, I don't know why I moved to St. Louis. You're never home, mm-hmm. and it may may sound exciting, but you know you're working traveling monday through friday you're calling on major accounts whether it be 7-eleven circle k walgreens rite aid doesn't matter um and then you would think like i was doing before i get home friday morning or friday afternoon and have the pleasure of the weekend but that's not that's not my job at budweiser my job was then take the ceo of a chain to the indy 500. cardinals obviously play in in um, st louis you got an entertainment box Well, I had so many customers, it wasn't like you take someone to a game on a Tuesday and then you're done for the month. No, I had people in every week in St. Louis that you'd take them to the game or a hockey game or you're going to Indy, you're going to a football game, Super Bowls, hockey. I mean, because Budweiser's all sports Mm. and everyone wants to be entertained. And when you have all those clients, you're entertaining. So I'd get home, call it Friday, say hi, and then I'm going to the game. Get back at midnight. Wake up the next morning. You're going golfing, or you're going somewhere else. And I, I'm trying to remember my first year at AB. I think I was only I was only home like 21 days or something.
0: It was 21 stu- days out of what?
2: A year. It was it was stupid. Absolutely ridiculous. And um, <clears throat> same sort of thing. I wasn't happy. Just I was back to 24 seven working hard at a at that point my son was in third fourth grade something like that third grade and uh just you know watch him grow up really without me in essence right because it's you know hey dad's home Mm -hmm. you know hey dad's leaving Mm -hmm. so uh i just called up one day and i got look it's i'm not i'm not back to 35 uh working not gonna work 24 7 365 for this company uh budweiser's brutal and the work-life balance at the time. Don't know how they are now, but then it was at the time. They didn't care. Mm-hmm. You had to work. And uh, you had to get the job done. You had to get your market share. It's just the way it worked. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm leaving. Same, left the best job in the industry. People thought it was crazy. Did an e 6 startup. Um, just out of the blue, it was at a trade show, and a, a guy now came up to me. He's like, hey, have you ever thought about e 6 I'm like, eh, what is it? It's hot. Like in logic, electronic cigarettes mm-hmm. is huge, obviously here in New York, New Jersey. And uh, I'm like, sure, I'll give it a shot. He goes, oh yeah, you can, you know, just work and get, you know, sales and small company startup. Killed it. Sold the company. Mm, what was it about eight? No, fourteen months later, sold it to Japan Tobacco. Did my two years. Great. It was great for me. Great work-life balance. Moved my son. We lived in Texas until we sold the company. And uh, great work-life balance, great. So back to the
1: Mm
0: 50-50. You were able to get the balance back.
2: Yeah, and now, you know, I did a couple startups since then. Mm -hmm. And uh, now this one was Stewart's. I actually was another life decision. I decided I was was working at another startup and uh, COVID took it from nothing to about 40 million, just killed it and then COVID magically ended kind of even though it's still out there but all the masks and the sanitizers all the wipes all that stuff people don't use them anymore and so i was like you know what this isn't fun i'm going to start my own consulting business back to the rolodex and it was cool because all my friends around the industry back to like you know you'll always have a job i never made so much money because everyone came out of the woodworks and Hey, we need your help, need your help, need your help. Do this, do this. And I got back to working too much. I was working what seemed like 15 to 20 hours a day because everyone was dragging, pulling on me, yeah. but it was great because it was fun, mm-hmm. right? Cause I, I could consult as opposed to carrying a bag right. as we call it and it was great. And then I was consulting with stewards and I love the alcohol industry in general and I could guide and build brands and develop brands and bring on a you know amazing team and build all that and I'm like sure so I killed my consulting company made less money worked more hours but it's fun yeah it's fun because I get to work with the people I enjoy being with
0: is that more the culture obviously of where you're working plays a large role yeah, in your enjoyment course you know, your mindset going into work. I've been certain places where it's miserable going in, you know, it's <laughs> hard to, to sleep the night before. Other places it's hard to sleep because I'm excited to get to work. Right. Um, it just it just varies. But for you, is it a difference more so between the big corporations or the, and the startups? Like, which would you say is more rewarding? Uh, obviously you don't have the same perks, you know, being at the 50 right. yard line, you know, being at all the races when you're in Anizer Bush. Compared to a startup, but which is right. more rewarding, and which did you you feel that you got more out of?
2: Oof. Well, I got the most out of ENJ Gallo, right? Mm-hmm. So that was my first twenty years, mm-hmm. and that was a nice blend. Mm-hmm. They're a great company. Uh, just hit a glass ceiling, right? So it's it's kind of like for your world, if you're the number two quarterback behind Tom Brady, you're never getting on the field. And that may be great for people, but I was never going to get my boss's job. He's one of my best friends. He's still there. Great man. Runs Gallo, national accounts, great guy, mentored me, but I was never going to get his job. Mm -hmm. So the only reason I left Gallo was because I wanted more, right? I thought I did, especially at the time, right? I'm like, no, no, I want to grow my career. Because if if you recall, I was telling you, because I had stopped racing, it was just the energy of work. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, no, no, I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. That's why I went to Budweiser. and Budweiser probably helped me in the fact I realized what I missed at Mm Gallo, which was the free time the personal me time, the family time, that Budweiser didn't give. So, and that's a huge corporation, right? It's the number one spirit brand in the world. It's number one wine in the world, big corporation. then you have a Budweiser, um, big corporation, but just culture, right, if you will. And I've worked for another big company, Advantage Solutions, and um, was successful there as well. And that was actually not bad, but culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's kind of hard to say big company, small company, right? Because I've been with a startup where my board was absolutely horrific. Mm-hmm. Like, I did not want to wake up in the morning to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And now my board of this company that I that I report to, they're great, right? Mm-hmm. They're supportive. They you know they listen, call a lot, but that's mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> um, but they listen and they're they're helpful as opposed to right being being a pain, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, and not knowing, demanding. Mm -hmm. So it's really, I've had it both. It just depends. It just depends. It's it's really back to what you said, culture. Mm -hmm.
0: Sticking Um, with culture. As the CEO, I've always, whether it's sports or anything else, culture comes from the top down. Um, At least where, you know, the places that I've been. As the CEO, is that one of your top priorities, establishing the culture for the company? You would hope so. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Um, To say that's been a success, I'd probably say no. And the reason is, uh, we're revamping a little bit this year in the sense, because the first year of a startup, it's 24-7, 365. I'm all, unfortunately, around the world getting this brand going, being the face of the brand, whether it's, I was in Australia, I was in Singapore, I was in Germany, I was in Israel, because you're getting everything started. And so you're just working your tail off. And you hope you hire the right people to build the culture you want. And um, some did, some didn't. So we're a little revamp and getting the culture back to where it needs to be. Because mm-hmm. I don't have to travel as much this year now that we got the brand up and going around the world. So we'll get the culture back to where it needs to be. But it's it's the most important, but the hardest to do if you're not the one doing it as a CEO. Yeah. And most CEOs don't do culture. Really, they don't. No, most CEOs, if you, if you think about it, most CEOs are dealing with investors, they're dealing with banks, they're dealing with their CFO, they're not dealing with the street, mm-hmm. right? They all, they all try to use this bottom-up feeling of culture and talk about how the people are the most important, but to them, most CEOs, the most important guy is the bank, right? Or the McKinsey's of the right. world, right? They're, or if they're going to sell it, they're dealing with investors or their own board, they're not building culture they really not. Head of operations builds culture. Head of sales builds culture. CEOs typically don't. Unless you're a startup, then you're everything, right? Um, chief sales officer, chief financial officer, CEO, chief people, you're everything. Production right. and a startup. Major company, you're just a that, figurehead in the sense of culture.
0: That makes sense. Um, it, it, it makes sense a lot because you don't necessarily have time, you're not touching the actual let's say like a sales manager, if you're running a sales team, it's probably more important for you to establish the culture among your people. And you brought up something that um, a few of my mentors have always told me that everything starts with the hiring process. You have yeah. to hire the right people. Yeah. Um, I guess it goes back to whether it's relationships or anything else, people don't change um no. pe- people are the same people that you hired you just didn't do a good job um, i guess filtering through and and right. really reading them but they are who you know anybody can come to work the first week the second week first month and i uh, put on the front but eventually you're going to find out exactly who somebody is has that been the the case uh, with you 100
2: yeah, yeah c- completely you know what's funny is my son who's absolutely amazing not just because he's my son he, uh, when I was leaving Monday morning, it was like 6 a.m. He got up and he goes, dad, I'm going to work harder than anyone else. Cause he hears me talk about that all the time. And I, you know, as you and I've talked, you know, to be successful is not a, it's kind of like losing weight, right? It's calories in calories out. It's really not all the fad stuff mm-hmm. and work. If you work your ass off, you're going to be successful, right? Unless Very. you're in a really bad situation and that doesn't matter if you're a construction worker, an athlete. If you wake up before everyone, work your tail off, you're going to be somewhat, if not very successful. And my son goes, Dad, I'm like, well, he goes, I'm going to get up and outwork everyone. And, and he goes, but I'm not going to do it for 90 days and then relax and fit in like, like the rest of the world does in my age and culture. I'm looking, I'm like, what? already 16 and a half years old. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? You're my kid. Wow. And it's true though. You get a lot of people that'll do the first two weeks, three months, work their tail off, get into a system. And then
0: Mm -hmm.
2: we used to laugh about Florida. Give you another quick story is um, you could never have anyone in Florida for more than two years. Now you're gonna now let me get you there. Yeah, I kinda so see get, where
0: this is going. So <laughs> I've been in Florida. You
2: get all these No, but you get all these people, you know, New Yorkers work their tails off, New Jersey works their tail off, right? Midwesterners will do mm-hmm. work their tails off. You send someone to Florida and the first year they work their tail off. Second year it's like, Hey, where are you? Well, you know, we're going to the beach on Saturday, so you know, I had to go to the store this morning and and all of a sudden it's four o'clock and they're at happy hour or cocktails. And it's like, what happened to the guy who worked his ass off? <laughs> right. And so you get this culture in Florida. I hate to say it, but there's not just all of Florida, but I'm just saying you get this kind of California's a lot that way too, where they just get into this. I hate to even call it a funk, but I kind of would, but they just get into this. Hey, I'm just living a good life. Happy as can be mm-hmm. back to your 50, 50, they're 70, 30 of fun versus work and where you really like it 50 50 and uh yeah so that's why florida is always two years get them out
0: in and out so i got one more year in florida and then i'm out but but, yeah, but mine's a little different i'm forward. halfway i'm back and forth so yeah. and it's funny that you mentioned that because even when i come back when i go down to florida as soon as i get out the airport i breathe in the air it's like a, a sigh of like it's just a different feeling i don't even want to It's really a sigh of relief, but I didn't want to say that because, you know, even me saying that it's kind of like it's soft. Like I need to be going down there to work. I'm not going down there for pleasure. I'm going down there to build relationships and business. But when I get back up here, I always say that as soon as I'm driving across the bridge, like it puts me back in that game mode. Like where, you know, it's it's kind of like Marvin Hagler used to say, like, it's hard to work. It's hard to wake up and train the same way when you're waking up on like satin sheets you know thousand dollar sheets and stuff it's hard to get out of bed and train right and and it's it's just the reality of it so i'm glad that i get the reminder you know coming here where you know down in florida everything's you know super nice you know super chill and relaxed people take two weeks to make decisions here that take an hour but um then when i get here and i'm walking down the sidewalk people bumping into me it's it's that that reminder of like yeah you're you're here now you know you're back in the jungle so you need to survive you need to adapt and survive so it's a thing so that's a floor so two years in florida that's the takeaway
2: yeah yeah okay well if you do go try to go western florida western all
0: right so then there. so so you you talked about the different skills that a ceo has to have whether it's Mm -hmm. sales marketing people person what would be the number one skill that let's say somebody's in their 20s um, or even in their any point in their career, actually, because I don't think a lot of people are taught, you know, a lot of the soft skills and stuff like that, unless you're in sales, but any skill, what would you say was the most important for your success?
2: Um, the most important, and I'll say this to anyone for anything, um, never think you're the smartest person in the room because you're not. And that was probably the biggest skill. You said I was quiet as an example. and mm-hmm. But it, if you take the time to listen, you learn so much more. So if I were to tell my 20-year-old self today, and you want to be CEO, it's shut up, listen, absorb, get educated, and always learn, and speak when it's the right time. Because I, I can't tell you how many people that I have to go through in life that think they're the smartest person in the room. And they may be, but you don't need to think it, right? Unless you actually are. Mm-hmm. And very... There's very few Deion Sanders in the world, if you will, <laughs> right? There's there's one, right? There's, there's one. Maybe two. Yeah. And and there's not 360 million mm-hmm. of them. So, yeah, to be successful, yeah, just be quiet and learn. Just, mm-hmm. You just can't. It, when you're speaking, you can't hear, right? It's just physical. Um, although my wife's really good at it. But uh, you just need to. Listen, and just, you're going to learn so much more. I mean, there's so many smart people out there. I learn from my team every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it just do. I mean, I, don't, I can't have all the answers. Mm-hmm.
0: Just and, having that mindset keeps yeah. you open to learn. Right. Yeah. You you, you're going to, gonna, you're going to get opportunities that you wouldn't, if you just kind of came into the room with, hey, this is what it is. I'm up here. Everybody else is down here. Like you said, there's only one Deion Sanders.
2: <laughs> yeah. And there will be people that, you know, well, most likely, and just in general, it's like, well, no, it's your rule, you're the CEO, and it, typically not, right? Usually we get three or four opinions, and then I'll have to make the decision based on those three or four decisions, or three or four ideas. But ultimately, yes, I got to make the decision, but it's never my own 100% opinion. It can't be, unless the other three in the room have no idea. Or, right. Because there are there mm-hmm. are, you know, if you and I were to talk alcohol, as an example, you're you don't come from that background. Mm-hmm. So odds are my opinion is going to be the one that's going to get chosen mm-hmm. because of that.
0: And I but should and I should sit here and listen <laughs> to what you're saying. But seriously, that's 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 kind of the common sense thing that right. I guess isn't always that common. Um, I yeah. guess people feel the need to. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's an insecurity. That you just feel the need to say exactly what you want to say, you know, be up here, even, it, even at the event. Mm-hmm. So at the Think Billions event, like I said, I was really looking around just to see, you know, different people, and I'm like, ah, he's, t- he's talking a little too much. He's probably not as successful as he's saying he is or appearing to be. Yeah. But um, it, you can tell. You could. It's a, It's a, a. My college coach used to call it, um, a quiet confidence, bordering on. Cockiness. I don't think you had the bordering on cockiness. I think you just had the quiet confidence, at least for me. But right. I think the bordering on cockiness um, is important with the quiet, with the, you know, as long as you have both aspects of it.
2: Yeah, I, I would, I would agree on that. Mm-hmm. Well, my favorite line from coaches was, uh, you know, uh, act like you're going to be there again when you mm-hmm. score a touchdown because uh, i did play a little football as a kid or wrestled and, and different things And my coaches always and even racing you know if i'd win it, and my dad instilled this in me too you know don't be that cocky punk and i was i was a punk i'll give you that <laughs> um but it was always act like you're going to be there again mm-hmm. act like you're going to win again so if i won i didn't you know throw the bike down jump up and down scream hey look at me i just one and went back to the truck and parked it and sat there Mm -hmm. right um because i always had that in my head act like you're going to be there again because no one likes a bragger no Mm -hmm. one likes that cocky you know person self-promoting usually Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right those Mm -hmm. are the ones you look to knock down and uh yeah i didn't want to be knocked down i was usually knocking those cocky ones down myself that's why
0: i said you you bullied the bullies
2: um and and well just, and I tell my son that today even it's like if you get a bully pop him in the mouth mm-hmm. I mean just set simple
0: end it quick end it yeah mm-hmm. right there
2: if someone's being a bully and picking on you hit him
1: mm-hmm.
2: well obviously don't say that in front of his mother but uh, even another quick story I don't know how long you let go but he was in grade school and two kids jumped him kind of picked on him at the public school when he was like kindergarten or first grade mm-hmm. just you know kids. And he got up, hit one and started swinging at the other. Well, the principal calls and I gotta go pick him up, right? Cause he's getting kicked out for the day or whatever. And I'm sitting there in front of the principal. I'm like, what happened? He goes, well, Austin was playing in the sand and these two kids came up and pushed him, threw sand on him, and, and he got up and hit one and then was going after the other. And I go, well, oh. I go, so two kids were picking on him. He's like, yeah, but Austin, you know, hit him. He, you know, he's gotta, gotta, go. I go, great. Hey buddy, you wanna go to a movie? And the principal just looked at me. <laughs> you said it in front of me. Of course. And I looked at the principal and I go, I go, do you, I go, he did exactly what he should do. I'm not gonna raise a, a wussy. I go, he did what he should do. You, you aggressively go at a bully if they're a bully and it teaches them right away that you're not the one to mess with. Cause I was tiny, remember? Mm-hmm. So I never lost a fight in my life. Because, well, one, I was a decent wrestler, and mm-hmm. two, I was kind of a nice kid in general. But if I got in a fight, I'd swing right away. Finish it first. First, yeah. I mean, you, you go. It's right there. And, uh, you know, you don't chat. It's like people sit there and chatter. No, no, no. It's, if it's going, it's going. Um, I haven't had a fight since high school. So. But he, he did that, and, and the principal I'm like, I'm not raising a wussy. Two kids picked on him. I go, you need to discipline the teachers for not watching, Mm -hmm. because all six of them were out there looking at each other, chatting about the weekend or whatever, and not watching the kids, right? Because at that age, they're trying to, you know, punch, bite, kick, feel, you know, feel the world out. And so they're going to have more of those confrontations. And if you let it happen, they're going to happen through life, right? Mm -hmm. Because you build your future as a child, right? I still say to this day, at 14, pretty much all men are done right? With the way they're going to be. Mm-hmm. If they're a liar at 14, they're going to be a liar at 40. Mm-hmm. If, they, right, if they're right, if they a cheater at 14, they're going to be a cheater at 40. Mm-hmm. It's just, if they're a jerk, they're going to most likely be a jerk. It's just, for some reason, men or males at that age kind of had built their culture, if mm-hmm. you will. At least I did. And most of my friends were that way. I can, to this day, I can say, 14, you're exactly the same way mm-hmm. that you are today.
0: More uh, people should need to know that. You told me yeah. that. Yeah. We were talking about relationships and everything, and that stuck with me. Uh, it made me, made me uh, think about a lot. And it made me change my perspective in a lot of relationships that I have overall. And yeah. I don't think people realize... I, if people accept that, I think there will be more of an emphasis on the development of a child before they're 14. And yeah. so my question to you is, uh, I, I'm not sure... Um, I don't. Well, I'm very much just aligned with your thinking, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that you can't raise a soft kid. It's not right. It's not fair to your child. No. It's not fair to him um, or her or her or her, yeah. or her. And that's something that I feel like society has tried to, like, get us to move our position on. And I'm trying to be I'm trying to be PC saying this stuff, but um, it, it, it bothers me. It bothers me a lot. I feel like yeah, I mean, a lot of our yeah. kids are soft. The generations are soft, and I feel like if you if you step up and say something like you said, exactly what you should have in front of that principal, uh, you get a lot of backlash. And I, I guess my question to you is, how do we kind of reset things? Because it, it's it's a huge problem. It's a, yeah. it, I see it. And I'm glad you said boys and girls. It's not fair too, because right. I see it a lot in not only the young boys, but the you know the the, inter- the interactions that I have, my relationship. I see it in, right. and it's you just don't. It's it's just a mindset where it's like, hey, we cannot raise our kids to be this soft because we're crippling them for the future.
2: Hundred percent. Yeah, you'd find it for my wife's an Iowa farm girl and. She's tough as nails, so my kid didn't have a chance. He was going to be tough. He was not going to be, you know, a participation ribboned, you know, for eighteenth place. He mm-hmm. just wasn't going to get that, and he wasn't going to get away with fake crying and all that. Because yeah, Mike, as as no. our parents said, I'll give you reason to cry. Um, that culture. Um,
0: participation so trophies.
2: Partic- yeah, he doesn't.
0: You know, you're, not, uh, you're not with the participation trophy. No,
2: not at all. I mean, you're. Yeah. <laughs> Your first or last, Ricky Bobby. Uh. So, so your, your
0: son comes home. He just—I um, don't know. It's a tournament. Let's say it's a tournament, uh-huh. and um, he got fifth place, sixth place, whatever it is. Doesn't really matter. Yeah. But they give you know, hey, everybody got trophies though. Yeah. I've always said, I told my girlfriend this. I said I can't wait until the day that that happens you know hopefully my kid well i don't even want my kid to always win you know i want right. to learn some of the right. lessons or her to learn some of the lessons but i cannot wait till the day that my future child brings home a participation trophy and hopefully i'm in front of the coach you know yeah. whoever gave them the trophy because they are i'm going to force them to destroy that trophy that ribbon whatever it is because it's set in the wrong you're, you're confusing yeah. the kids Right, you're you're making them feel that they're entitled to something if they didn't win. That's simple life. Sports is supposed to mirror life, not give you, not misguide you based on life. So that's we're we're on the same page with that.
2: Yeah, like if Austin got them, they were sitting in a closet somewhere, probably because you know we didn't. But it's part of that. To your point, it's part of the culture today. and it's unfortunate, right? It's you, you. go and you lose a soccer game. You still get to go to I don't know McDonald's, the ice cream store, and you, it's a party as opposed to a competition. Life, life, unfortunately, is a competition, right? Because mm-hmm. if you know we're going for the same job, we're not both getting the job, right? If we're both going for the raise, we're both right going for a parking spot. Life is a competition, and uh, yeah. You know, we can we can sit there in the parking lot all day long and wave each other to the to the spot, but mm-hmm. that typically doesn't happen in life, mm-hmm. as you know. And you can't raise your kids that way. Um, shouldn't at least? I mean, I I guess I'm giving advice on raising kids, but I mean, you got to give them life skills before they're 14, or you're done. Mm-hmm. 15. Or, the, this yeah. is the jungle. This is it, the, It's yeah.
0: it's the jungle. We're competing for resources, yeah. and if you. If you raise your kid thinking that it's anything but that, then to me, you're you're neglecting your role as a parent. Yeah, and and I I get it, and I'm and I'm speaking from somebody who doesn't have kids. I want to be clear on that. But from my perspective, I I see how it is. I'm competing in everything that I'm doing. Like there's a comp, everything is a competition. And I and I beat a lot of people who. Have a like this softer mindset, and I see a lot of other kids who may have a more competitive mindset than me, and I see the things where they have an advantage um, right. from certain things. So, yeah.
2: Well, I'll, I'll, one of the my wife stay at home, but one of the best things we did back to the kicking and punching mm-hmm. is when he was about two, we put him in daycare. Not not because my wife wanted free time, was because we wanted that culture of. Hitting, biting, just right. Humans, if you will, being aggressive and learning life rules, and you don't get that if they're at home watching Bugs Bunny all day. I mean, you don't. You're not going to get that culture of the fight, if you will. And so we did it. And it was one of the best things we we did. Right, is put them in that dog eat dog. Got bit, bit people, punched, hair pulled. I mean, yeah, it's made fun of it's
0: just yeah it's part of so you may may have just changed my entire mindset on (laughs) homeschooling i get so pissed off because of everything else that we just discussed like with society like you're not going to school with these soft teachers these soft learning soft culture but the alternative is they're at home by themselves not learning how to interact with different kids yeah, you know how to skills. influence yeah. how to you know all these life skills that you're talking about so yeah i don't know maybe i need to reconsider some things i guess yeah. i got some time, you do have some time. <laughs> i got some time and
2: even i talked about it when we were out at, at the billions event um like my kid i take almost everywhere if i can you know he spent all summer opening countries doing business meeting people from all around the world and cultures just just because i didn't want him to be, mm-hmm. right the not knowing not seeing just watching the news because right now the news is brutal in the sense of everyone everyone saying everyone else is wrong right and and I hate to call it fake news because it's just news to sell advertising really mm-hmm. but you know my child is sitting at home watching you know seeing the news seeing the news on the radio and it's not real life right so I took him to Portland because was one of the 50 states we had to still see and it was crazy it's like oh my god you're going to portland people are pulling people out of cars and beating them up and all these things are going on and oh my god how do you go there my wife's like you can't go downtown of course i did nicest people in the world no one getting pulled out of a car no one getting beat up nothing no real graffiti we walked around downtown all day great time people were as nice as can be opening doors friendly nothing like you saw on tv not even close. That what you saw on TV was like a kind of a two-block area.
0: That's Little it. pocket.
2: Little pocket, which mm-hmm. is a pocket of life.
0: Pockets everywhere,
2: right? And and so, literally, it was like, honey, it was fine. So we were, you know, we were next to Ramallah in Israel. You know, we went. There wasn't, there wasn't people in the back of trucks with machine guns. There wasn't people yelling and fighting. Nicest people in the world. The world is friendly if you get out there. Mm-hmm. But if you just watch the news, you think, oh my God, why would you? Why would you go to? You know wherever I'm like it was fine it's great mm mm-hmm. right? it was it was see great to see new cultures, but and that's not
0: good advertisement no it doesn't it sell, doesn't sell news channels,
2: no, doesn't sell podcasts um but uh it's 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 life though right you gotta you gotta see it touch it, feel it. Because if you just let somebody tell you on a news you know on a news feed, mm-hmm. you're not gonna not gonna learn it
0: all you know? right, well, hopefully. Um, I feel like I could talk to you all day. Yeah. And, um, before we get off, I will ask you to come back. All right. Another time. Um, even if we have to do it, you know, obviously on zoom or some platform, the new ones, Riverside, I don't get paid for it, but the new ones, Riverside, that a lot of people are doing, but before you leave, Mm -hmm. wanted to just ask you, uh, you know, well, first you know, bounce back. Please, introduce, Please, before we go, I wanted you to, you know, talk about that. But sure. then after that, just, uh, you know, tell us what's next for you. What's next for you? I know you have. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up with your son because to me, when I see your Instagram or or when I first spoke to you, I noticed that you, you brightened up when you talk about your son. Yep. And uh, one of the things that you took the most pride in was the fact that he gets to travel with you to a lot of these places. And those are invaluable experiences that um, I'm sure he takes a lot from just like you took a lot from your dad, um, you know, his work ethic and everything else. And now you're able to kind of return the favor and be with him a little bit more. Uh, I think that that's, that's what we need more in this world. You know, we need more more fathers, more men like you. So, thank you for that. Yeah. But uh, I want to know about bounce back, and I want to know what's next for Tony Gaines.
2: Oh well, bounce back. Uh, bounce back is our. Well, I guess I can say it's it's our hangover cure, if you will. But it's it's actually a pre pre drink, right? So, bounce back. It's 17 different amino acids uh, that kind of charge your body because what happens, obviously, when you go to sleep, your body shuts down. It doesn't produce a lot of these things. Uh, because it's resting. So what this does is it puts it in your body before you go to sleep, as opposed to most hangover cures, which are really just B12 and salt, Mm. right? So you take a couple aspirin, you drink a Pedialyte, and, hey, I feel great, but you felt terrible for the two hours until it kicked in. What Bounce Back does, you take it as the last drink of the night, like a lot of people say, drink take two aspirin and water. You can do that, but Bounce Back, if you will, puts all the vitamins, minerals in, The night before so the last little drink you can even put vodka in it if you want to have that last drink with vodka it's fine the minerals are still in there vitamins minerals still in there you drink it and you wake up without the hangover as opposed to chasing the aspirin bottle so that that's that one product wise with the company Stewart's internationally is doing incredible we're opening up some Central America Mexico we just opened up Mexico working on Japan uh, we open up Israel this spring. Uh, we'll open up all the islands, uh, Greek islands, Spanish islands, if you will, this summer. We we did a little bit last summer. We'll do a little mm-hmm. more aggressive this year. Um, obviously UK, Ireland, all that's great. US is going really good. We're, we're doing a reboot in the sense of not trying to go to all 50 states. And when I say reboot, we're just saying, you know what? We got 20, I think we're at 22 states right now. We're okay, great. We're in Walmart, Safeway, Kroger, we're in all the big ones. Things are going great. Now let's focus in those states that we have now and blow the brand up as opposed to just getting distribution, right? So that's that's kind of new for us. And then we have two new products. There's 100 cal, it's not here. Um, it's kind of the tequila soda, tequila grapefruit drink that comes out, ooh, February 1st, roughly. And then we got a little can cocktail, old fashioned Manhattan, chocolate martini, and espresso martini. It's just, oh, it's just heaven. Um, I could drink them all day if if I, you know, <laughs> if I could. Um, but they actually come out as well in February, and those those drinks are just in, incredible. So if you know, you get all the people that's like, oh, I make the greatest Manhattan in the world, and it takes them thirty minutes, and you're going thirsty. Come on, right? Um, this is you know you pour it in a glass can, pour it in a glass and it's all ready to go mm-hmm. for you. So that, that part's good. Um, and then the rest is just, you know, this being successful. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my son wants to go to college as I think we talked about still need to find someone that has a hookup at Morehouse. Don't so if you know anyone, we, let me know. We,
0: we need to, <laughs> the next episode. So we're very quickly. Cause I got to let you go. Yep. Um, I, Tony's a very busy man, obviously, but, um, I was so blown away when you mentioned your son interested in going to Morehouse for a lot of different reasons. Um, It's, uh, I think because you've had so many different experiences and you're, bringing your son to different experiences. It allows you to see the world differently than what society tries to force on us. Mm -hmm. And I think we need more of that. And that's probably one of the things that I would love to elaborate on on the next time. Excellent, love to, yeah. um, I'm excited for it. When you go down to Morehouse and tour, let me know, I'll be coming there. come with me? And anytime that your son can't come on a trip, we got johnny but i'm always here as well so i appreciate you coming on appreciate you giving us these gems and everybody at home make sure you guys check out stewart um they're doing all the hard rock stuff so there's a lot of different options i'm sitting here i'm drinking the the margarita cocktail it's amazing and uh I, i'm uh, i'm very appreciative i'm very appreciative thank you thank you mm-hmm. appreciate that so ah. all right We here, Big Fish shit, welcome to the podcast, hope y'all
1: enjoy it, hope y'all learn something and most importantly, we hope y'all elevate, let's get it. Uh Big Fish, hit a big lick, we gon' bet it right back and hit a big flip we been up for a minute and we still lit get yeah, them cats going top, but we don't feel shit we just giving y'all gems y'all could live with elevate your mind never mind all the bullshit finna talk about stocks we ain't worried worry about ops first get the bread up then buy back the whole block ten toes down we ain't never gonna stop i'm a man of my word i ain't never gonna flop if i said it then i meant it real ones gonna respect it and it's still og it's in me i'm represented